0: Well, I do want you to imagine for just a moment that you're sitting around a dinner table with 10 or 12 of your closest friends and family, people you love, people you love spending time with. These are people you share life with. And there's just an ease and a comfort around that dinner table. Now imagine for a moment that half of those people suddenly stop talking to you because they disagree vehemently with a political position that you hold or the way that you handled yourself with a relationship, either personal or professional. Then I want you to also imagine that you have the same feelings about them. Now, it may not be that hard to imagine and conjure up in your mind, unfortunately, because we do hear a lot about living in divisive times in our country these days. Someone has recently said, that there is a grave disorder in our civil discourse. That was a philosopher, a modern day philosopher, by the name of Alastair MacIntyre. There's a grave disorder in our civil discourse. But we've all faced this very challenging time over the last decade or so in our society, times when we've been confronted by the reality of people that we love doing the exact opposite of what we wish they would do, and vice versa. I hear from people all the time who have had to block relatives on social media because the content they post is just so antithetical to their own position. Or people who make up elaborate ways to avoid certain people at the Thanksgiving table because they know the conversation will turn heated. Some families even have a list of topics that they have agreed in advance they won't talk about at the holidays because nothing good would come of it. So that might sound familiar to some of you as well. And we do this, of course, in the name of preserving the relationship. But I think that deep down we know that these are the kinds of behaviors that can also tear relationships apart. We don't talk we ignore, we avoid, but the issue doesn't go away. In fact, it festers, and as time goes by, we begin to view the other person with disdain, with a roll of the eyes, some internal judgment about their intelligence or their moral fiber. There's no grace in our silence. In fact, all we do is think about how unreasonable other person is, we just don't bother to say it out loud. So the relationship guru John Gottman, many of you might have heard of, he lumps these kinds of behaviors into what he calls the four horsemen. After the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which I think is pretty interesting since that's a reference to the end times written about in the book of Revelation, So Gottman says that these four horsemen are the signs that a relationship is in serious trouble. And the signs are these, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Now, very briefly, very quickly, here's what he says about these. He says, criticism is different from complaint because it goes after a person's character or their personality. Criticism says things like, I can't believe you did that again. You always do that. What's wrong with you? You don't even care. Contempt, he says, is fueled by a long, simmering series of negative thoughts about the other person. It demeans other person. It takes the moral high ground, he says, and has an air of superiority even while it's trying to tear the other person down. That's contempt. Then defensiveness, he says, might sound a lot like defending yourself, but it can also sound a lot like whining and complaining, and it almost always escalates the conflict rather than calming it. Defensiveness. So when all of this is going on, Gottman says, eventually, one partner tunes out. Stonewalling, he calls it. You might also think of it as the silent treatment. It communicates to the other person, I couldn't care less. Now, Gottman is considered an expert in the field of relationships, and for good reason. His research is spot on. It's these four things, he says, that cause division and eventually rupture relationships. In other words, it's how we handle conflict with one another that causes division, not the conflict itself. So this morning, I want to apply this a little bit to our scripture reading that we just heard. Jesus was pretty fired up, in case you couldn't tell. But why in the world, I wonder, would Jesus' message, the gospel, the good news, bring division? We know from elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus came bearing peace. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. We heard when Jesus was born, the angels sing, peace I give you. My peace I leave with you, Jesus said to his disciples. Peace be with you, he said almost everywhere he went. From Isaiah chapter 9, we know that Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Peace, not division. But then I have to remember Simeon. Simeon was an old man, a devout man of God. And when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, Simeon took one look at Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he held Jesus in his arms and he blessed him. And Simeon said, this child is destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Simeon said that about Jesus when he was an infant. Jesus came to bring peace to all, but he would encounter resistance and opposition. His message of peace would be rejected because peace comes at a price. Achieving peace and unity is hard work. I know you know that. Jesus' message was different and challenging and countercultural. It's still different and challenging and countercultural, but it's how we handle the conflict of that that true disciples are made. So, how do we handle the heat? Jesus talks about bringing the fire. I have come to bring fire, and how I wish it was already kindled. We heard this morning. Now, stepping out of the frying pan and into the fire may seem like the least desirable option when things get heated, but in this case, God's fire is meant to refine us, to improve us, to polish us up, to purify us, just like taking a piece of a hard metal and placing it into a crucible, a container that can go into the fire and burn away all the impurities of that to reveal the silver or the gold. Jesus is telling us he came to refine us, to bring out the holy places in us and bring them to light. And that's not going to be easy. But peace and unity are not achieved through avoidance, through ignoring. Peace is not the silent treatment or stonewalling. Peace requires confrontation. It requires us to acknowledge that we are in need of God's refining. The world is in need of God's refining. Jesus nearly shouted at his disciples in our reading this morning. In verse 56, he said, "'You know how to interpret the weather, "'but you don't interpret the signs of the times.'" In other words, look around. Some things need to change. But we don't want to hear about change if we think it's going to cost us. If we think it's going to cost us our wealth or our status, our power, our comfort. Peace has a price. So what's the price? At what cost, Jesus? What is it you really want from us that we desperately need to refine, to be made holy. Well, let's look closely at a few scripture verses this morning that are going to tell us a little bit more about that. This is what God said through the prophet Zephaniah 600 years before Christ was born. God was talking about the city of Jerusalem, which had turned away from God. And this is what was said. Ah, soiled, defiled, oppressing city. It has listened to no voice. It has accepted no correction. It has not trusted in the Lord. It has not drawn near to its God. The officials within it are roaring lions. Its judges are evening wolves that leave nothing until the morning. Its prophets are reckless, faithless persons." Its priests have profaned what is sacred. They have done violence to the law. Ouch. About a hundred years later, God spoke through the prophet Zechariah. Listen to what God said to the people then. Render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor. And do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Around the same time, the prophet Micah wrote, and you may know these words, you know what is required of you. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And in one of the most well-known lines in scripture, Isaiah 58, I have to read it all. It goes something like this. This is the kind of worship I choose, says God, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless and poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover them. Do not hide yourself from your own kin. Remove the yoke from among you. Remove the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. Offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted. You see the pattern here? There's a continuity to God's message. This is God's message for us over and over and over again in the Old Testament we heard these kinds of words. We know full well what needs to be purified. And it's not the people out there whose politics and opinions we find so vile. It's not the people whose lifestyles we disagree with. It's us. It's our hearts. It's our hearts that are in need of a total makeover. Look around. We discern the weather. We discern the weather based on the signs of the sky. So what are the signs in our own lives that might be in need of transformation, of refining? What is it in your life that you might be fighting against what God would have you do? what God would have you do specifically in service to others, to the vulnerable and the powerless. And if you are the vulnerable and the powerless, or you're somebody that others just don't get you, where might God be calling you to help bring about transformation? The division that Jesus spoke about is a result of the purifying fire that he brings. Maybe Jesus didn't come to sow division. He just knew that would happen when we all heard the message. Some will choose to turn toward God when they hear it. Others will not. The kingdom of God is governed by everything that is contrary to the way of this world. It's not about ruling by might, but by forgiveness. It's not about ruling by fear, but by courage. It's not about power, but humility. It's not about serving myself, but serving others. Yet, those who are invested in the present order of the day, those who are lured by wealth and status and power, those who rule now in the world, will resist God's kingdom because they know it's gonna cost them something. It spells an end to what they know and love. So even though Jesus came to bring peace, his message winds up bringing division, even to the most important and honored relationships we have. Now I wanna bring us back to that table with you and your closest friends. Here's the thing, divisions and disunity and ruptured relationships happen. They do, because we are human beings and we often lose our way. None of us is perfect and none of us has a perfect relationship. And so we turn toward God, to the message of love, forgiveness, reconciliation, courage. As disciples of Jesus, as followers, we go back to the message of caring for people first above all else. We go back to the message of striving for peace, even in a divided world. Now, I might be stating the obvious here, and I kind of hope I am, but it bears noting that Jesus came to refine us, which means even in our response to people who would vilify us, we need to act as refined people. What that means is that when we disagree, maybe we've been raised in a certain way and someone confronts our comfortable position, or maybe we've become very confident in our own beliefs, but even then, we must act as people who are refined when we come up against the opposition. I read recently that wherever the word of God has been heard, division has occurred among those who have heard it. Doesn't that sound familiar? So true. Think about all of our denominational divisions over the years, over the hundreds and hundreds of years. This is nothing new. Note the way that we talk about other churches, their doctrine or the way they worship or the way they interpret scripture but people who are refined by God's fire, seek first to understand, to find common ground, to respect, to be courageous, bold leaders in service to those who need it the most, to join together across denominations, across would-be barriers, to serve those who need it the most. As is always the case though, when it comes to following Jesus, the choice is ours. The choice to follow, the choice to be placed in that refiner's fire, the choice to change our hearts and our minds, the choice to love and care for people even when we disagree, to listen, to accept, to understand, to acknowledge, to honor the way someone else shows up in the world, The choice to put love into action instead of contempt. To have real, deep, and meaningful conversations, even when they're hard. The choice to not bite our tongues, but rather to open our hearts. This is the cost of discipleship. This is what stepping into the fire looks like. Moses saw a burning bush in the desert. He turned toward the bush, toward God for guidance. From then on, every time Moses encountered God, his face shone like the fire, like it too was burning. Holiness, purity, refinement. These are not traits of perfect people. Far from it. These are traits of disciples who have chosen to turn toward God and not the world for the answers to their most perplexing and challenging and divisive issues. And the thing with turning toward the fire is that you might be consumed, but it will not destroy you. Rather, it will bring you new life. Amen.